Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. I'm Alice White. And I'm Buddy Duquesne. And today is a very special episode. Uh, today we will be recording our Rogue One commentary track. Yeah, in celebration of four years of Rogue One being uh, unleashed upon the world, uh, we are here now to uh, talk through the entire movie uh, in a way that really hasn't happened on the show in two years. Yeah. Two Is years that right? ago, Yeah, two years ago, Ponders and I recorded a commentary track. Uh, but now that we've gone through the entire movie uh, bit by bit with this podcast, uh, it's time to try it again. So we're going to go through the whole... We're going to start the movie... Um, we'll give you the uh, the sound of that that first musical sting at the beginning of the movie, so you know how to sync up. Um, so you can pause this now and get your movie ready. We're watching it on Disney Plus, um, so there's about uh, 14 seconds of silence before the sting, um, and then we'll put we'll put the sting in here so you can hear it and sync up, and we'll uh, we'll watch it watch the movie together. Yeah. So. Uh... Alice, are you ready to watch Rogue One, a Star Wars story, together now uh, for the podcast? I sure am. Let's get started. Okay. Okay. We've hit play. Do you remember seeing all of this on opening day? Uh, I sure do. I cried <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah and the the absence of the title crawl feels significant here yeah um, i remember finding that really strange like we're in a star wars movie the long time ago in a galaxy far far away was there and then the next thing wasn't a big john williams you know score with the title crawl it was different a little jarring Definitely, and I feel like the sting, uh, as we've been calling it, that that just first Rogue One noise, um, is meant to shock. Uh, I feel like it's meant to make you go, oh, what? Like, <laughs> what? Uh, it's so abrupt compared to a title crawl. It's so not, like, like a title crawl feels like, let's give you context and kind of ease you into this universe, right? The sting is just like no, we're we're starting. We're like, starting. Here we go. It's we're starting. We're here, and this is different. This is a Star Wars story. This isn't like regular Star Wars. I this mean, you is... got to remember that this is the first Star Wars story. Like, yeah. This, it feels it feels kind of um, kind of difficult to remember that sometimes because it it has become so integrated into how we understand Star Wars. But this is completely out there compared to everything else that had come before and now we have some star wars stories we we have solo right and yeah. now we're about to get a bunch more star wars stories uh just announced like right before the recording of this episode yeah we're gonna get so much more star wars and and it's not all skywalker stuff it's hardly any of it skywalker stuff and so we get to see more of this i love I love this. There's Galen and, and little Jin. This normal people affected by, you know, the great events of of the Star War. The Star um, War. 
they're, you know, they're just normal people trying to live their lives. And, um, and so hopefully we get much more of that uh, in the coming years of Star Wars, for sure. Most definitely. Galen looks awesome. It's such a, it, he looks like he's dressed the same as like Luke at the beginning of, of, uh, of a new hope. Right. With that classic, um, you know, kind of drapey shirt, uh, over the tighter pants and boots, you know, it's, it's a very similar silhouette. Yeah. It's a, it's a star Wars outfit for sure. And it's a star Wars moment. The whole like, uh, farmstead kind of, or, or homestead, I guess is probably the better word. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, like a backwater moon where you're eking out an existence with your moisture evaporators and your your just endless wasteland around you um it just feels star wars uh, and i don't think we talk about that enough that like this is actually a pretty conventional star wars opening in yeah. terms of like where we are and kind of the the invasion of that status quo it's just condensed into the first three and a half minutes of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Instead yeah. of like in A New Hope when it's like almost an hour before Luke leaves Tatooine. Yeah, but it opens with the shot of the little ship being chased by the big ship. And, and you are to understand right away who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And this is the same. You've got your cute little farm with this nice looking but sopping wet family. Just look at him. He's just soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. What What is um, the air like here? It must be like 300% humidity. so humid. <laughs> I said that. I, I say this every time we watch this movie, but it just, it it looks like, or it feels like you can breathe this scene. Like I can, I can feel it in my lungs when I watch it. It just seems so oppressive. And it adds to the atmosphere too, because here's the Empire with the Death Troopers here to literally oppress the family of, of, the Ursos, you know? Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, what I was saying, it's the, the empire comes in. It's all, it's the same as a new hope, you know, right away, this is a cute little family and these are big, bad Imperials. And it, it's just like the little ship being chased by the big ship at the beginning of a new hope. It's, um, it sets the scene perfectly. Oh no, Lyra. Yeah. It's that same dynamic. Um, which I find, I, I just find interesting. Um, but all, already we are seeing kind of a a difference in the dynamic as well. So it's that same dynamic of like overwhelming force against uh, this little small like family unit, right? Where uh, when we see like the Star Destroyer chasing down the Tantive Four, that's like the same idea. But it this is already smaller more personal and a bit more violent like lyra pulling the pistol here right um oh. it like when the mm. rebels are being overtaken in the tantive four it feels a lot cleaner than this it feels like a like a battle right whereas this feels like like a murder <laughs> you yeah. know there's it's... there's a difference in tone that is already kind of being explored and we're being set up with that that same sense of familiarity but also it's its own unique thing that 
is like the thesis of this movie almost yeah that like this is absolutely unequivocally star wars but it's definitely a different angle on star wars i want to think for a second about uh the difference too between like if we were going to compare this to the beginning of new hope the difference between the attitude and the actions of galen and lyra as the the adults in this situation versus uh owen and baru at the beginning of a new hope yeah um and how on tatooine in the middle of the desert everybody is kind of just accepted that the empire and the imperials are in charge and and they're like you know they're even talking about they're like all right i might go to the imperial flight academy not just i might go like i want to go you know and 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 so you're introduced at the beginning of a new hope to a people that have kind of just accepted their fate um but it's all about to change and at the beginning of rogue one you're introduced to these people who have been in the fight from the beginning and who have never fallen into that complacency it's a diff it's a just a different kind of people altogether yeah it's funny when you said Owen and Baru, I was thinking like, well, what is what is their politics? Um, bum, bum, and bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I, I maintain <laughs> that this <laughs> this score, this piece of the score, is so good. It's um, so gorgeous. But like, what what is the politics of Owen and Baru, the Larses? Um, and I think that their politics is. They know that they're involved in the fight because they have Luke. Because, yeah. But they're determined... They're determined not to join the fight, though. Um, They're determined... Like, they have one job, and it is to maintain the safety of Luke in some way. Yeah. When it it comes to the rebellion in general. So I wonder then about the, the... Again, the difference here where... With the status quo of Jin's life just got flipped, and instead of flipping into action like Luke does, she flips straight into apathy. After after losing Saw, after being abandoned by Saw, she just that's it for her. She's just given up. She doesn't want to join the fight. She doesn't want to be involved. It's the opposite of what Luke goes through at the beginning of A New Hope. Yeah, uh, where where Luke's uh, Luke's upbringing was one of isolation and kind of deliberately not looking up. Ooh, right uh Jin's was an upbringing of uh engaging in the fight even if it's hiding right but also being aware that eventually the fight will come to them and having a plan for that um and then she gets flipped to not looking up where Luke gets flipped to full-on involvement it's a really cool inverse yeah um in the in the same way that Jin is a, an interesting inverse of Luke because Jin's not special on like the galactic scale she's not a skywalker um and yet she's still special and important in this story um which i think is like a a cool reversal of that as well yeah let's talk about cassian though we can talk about being beautiful Tevik just said that Bodhi defected yesterday. He said a cargo pilot defected yesterday, and he's telling people that they're building a planet killer. Yeah. This movie takes place in, like, like four days. 
<laughs> I love the my gloves excuse. My gloves is so good. <laughs> my gloves. Is so, so. What is good. that? <laughs> <laughs> and he's sitting here, you know, that intensity of action of I know what I have to do. Oh. There is, there's so much in this little introduction to Cassian. I, I'm really looking forward to the series. Um, oh, it's going to be so good. Because I want an exploration of what gets him to this point where, like, everything, everything can be dropped and risked and whatever it takes to continue the mission, right? Yeah, that he has like, no problem must... with, or some problem with, but no, like... No, no hesitation. rejection of, yeah, no hesitation yeah. of, oh, well, I have to shoot this guy in the back. That's just what I have to do. Right. Like, he can't risk leaving him behind and having him be captured and potentially leaking this information. And he's not getting out with him. So uh, I guess that's just more more extraneous cargo to dump, more emotional baggage to, to deal with and hopefully suppress, right? Because... yeah. Like, Cassian has forged himself into the perfect tool of the rebellion. Or so speaking he believes. Of, speaking of cargo, our cargo <laughs> pilot's on screen now. Uh, local there boy, Bodhi Rook. Yeah, cargo pilot, local boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. He's so funny. He's so funny. There, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit, that Bodhi gets sent to Saw because Galen knows Saw. But now it's been, like, you know, 15 years, maybe longer. How long has it been? It's been a while. I don't remember. (laughs) It's been more than a decade, right? Yeah. And both of them are so much more broken than they were last time they talked. Especially Saw has changed completely. Uh, but I think that it, their their friendship is gonna is like eternal. <laughs> like oh, Galen knows like, he's a, he's a different man, and he knows Saw is a different man. But he trusts Saw with his daughter, so he's gonna trust Saw with this very important information. Literally, that to to kind of bring up your idea that uh, Jin and Bodhi are kind of surrogate siblings to each other, right? Like Jin, Bodhi, and the I Death trust- Star. <laughs> yeah. Uh I trust I trust uh Saw with Jin, you know, Bodhi like I've been a mentor to him and I've led him to where he is in his life now and I trust Saw Ouch. with him too. Yeah. No, absolutely. Sorry, I just she gets thrown <laughs> to the ground so hard. She's like, "Ouch." You can you can tell that she's even struggling to breathe right now, that her lungs have been <laughs> yeah. emptied of air. K2's so powerful. Oh, he's like nine feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. That beautiful, familiar sight with Yavin and this uh, this um, hanger here. Yeah, the, the kind of temple hanger. I, yeah. I think that this is one of those things that when you first see the movie, you might be like, oh, well, oh, yay, a Yavin reference, right? Um, but... I mean, this reimagining, the way that this whole place looks, the way that it all just fits together, the lighting, the set design, it's perfect. 
The lighting is outrageous. I love this white light uplighting everybody's faces here. It makes them look a little spooky. Oh, absolutely. Um, because Jin's now like thrown into a really scary situation. She doesn't know these people. Um, she doesn't trust them. We we know that they're the good guys, but now here they're all all creepily uplit by this you know, by this white light. It's a. Uh, it kind of like suits her mindset here. I think. Of course, Cassian can step into the scene without getting lit, which I think is pretty cool. That is pretty you know, cool. You're right. He's still uh, so much more in darkness than anybody else. Yeah, when when Mon Mothma walks in, she's she's practically bathed in light compared to Cassian, who yeah. who has this cool half lighting thing going on on his face, but the rest of him is stuck in shadow. Yeah. It looks really, it looks good on him, too. It's a good choice. I'm so excited for the Cassian show. It's going to be so good. <laughs> that sizzle reel that they put out a couple days ago is just, like, it's just Diego Luna fanboying about how much he loves Cassian and how excited he is <laughs> for the show. <laughs> He's so good. I, you you gotta you gotta imagine that when the movie came out and all of the Rogue One characters die, that he must have thought that that was it for him in Star Wars. And um, now he's getting his own show. And now he's got his own show as like an exploration of what it meant to be a rebel agent, yeah. uh, and what that what that does to a person, what kind of adventures that person goes on. What kind of emotional struggle he goes through. I, I hope, cannot wait. I hope that Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma and Alistair Peachtree as uh, Draven are both in it. I couldn't like, imagine having a Cassian show where he doesn't interact with at least both of those characters at least once, right? Right? He has to. Especially Draven. But, like, he yeah. has to. They're both so well cast, too. You know who we're going to get again, maybe? Who? Antoc Merrick. <gasps> Oh, I would just die. He's in the scene, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's been in the background this whole time. We got a couple of shots of him. Yeah. He's so pretty. Uh, so, like, that, it stands to reason that he's going to be on a couple of operations in which so. Cassian is involved. Oh, oh wait. Would, who's, who's that uh, emerging oh, who's from the, the shadows? Who's that? And what's that beautiful soundtrack coming in the background? Weird. It's Star Wars. Star Wars the man is here. <laughs> Star Wars is here. Uh, <laughs> I find it I find it interesting that the offer from the rebellion is Jin's freedom. Even though they don't really have like authority to grant that, right? I guess they would just tr figure out how to wipe her files, maybe give or, her a new identity. Yeah, like send her somewhere, right? Where where she wouldn't ever have to look up again, maybe. Maybe. But she's been on the run. I, I don't see how that would be any different for her. I love that I remember you. <laughs> like, yeah, you threw <laughs> me to the ground, like, a couple hours ago. It hurt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. My specialty is just strategic analysis. Oh, <laughs> uh, what do I know? 
He doesn't need to say a word. All of that was on his face. The right, of course. That that first like almost smile he gives after Javin yeah. tells him. It's like a right, yeah, of course that's my mission. Gotta kill somebody else now. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> spent a lot of time talking about Felicity Jones's hair in this and about how 70s it looks um that I forget that Cassian's hair in this scene right here is just as 70s yes uh, there's there's a suit there's a certain Luke Skywalker-ness to it kind of that fly away right yeah like, a little longer than is probably proper yeah but also it is it is more tame than a luke skywalker haircut for sure yeah but it's the longish hair with the fringe and the mustache that really solidifies how 70s his look is they look this movie at times feels like it could have been made in 77 i mean obviously it's cleaner than than the (laughs) you know and and the the effects are prettier but they took a lot of care in making sure that it that it matches. I love that shot of Draven back there. And yeah. He was watching them fly away. He's such an that interesting had, character. That had to be one of the goals for the visual effects team was yeah. to to try to replicate some of the grunge of the uh, of the original trilogy. Absolutely. Um, but not not necessarily the same grunge as we're seeing in this scene, right? There's there's a difference in the grunge with these characters. Oh, yeah. Than even what you saw in like, like what are, what are some of the worst locations in the original trilogy in terms of like grunginess? I guess like Jabba's, Jabba's palace? palace, right? <laughs> we both <laughs> said it. Um, yeah, Jabba's palace looks different than this because of course it does. It it, it is a different place. It's a di- these characters, different kind of dirty. Yeah, these characters are experiencing a different kind of desperation. Ooh, um, ooh, that shot of that shot of saw is so good. And it's the first full shot we get of him yeah. in this era of the movie. And it's you, you matching Bodhi's first look at him, too. Yeah. Which is... you don't, yeah, you don't see it till that. Oh, it's so good. Oh, my God. He's Forrest Whitaker's a genius. Oscar award-winning actor, Forrest Whitaker. Somehow didn't win an Oscar for being Saw Gerrera, which... How dare. Absolutely absurd. The, the Academy doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, sure, yeah, he was he was phenomenal in Last King of Scotland or whatever. Fine. Sure, <laughs> uh, fine. But Saw Gerrera, <laughs> this is iconic. <laughs> so, wow. Alice, I know you're gonna um, walk away from the screen for about the next. <laughs> Oh, sorry. This isn't the Borgella scene. Never mind. No, no, no. But I, I, yeah, I might need a minute. <laughs> but first, we've got this very good Lego Star Destroyer. Okay, so okay. First of all, let's let's watch the dish get installed. Yes, beautiful. perfect. Beautiful. And and the way that it zooms out from a Star Destroyer to show you the scale of the Death Star to reaffirm just how big this battle station is. I feel like I never really understood the scale of any of this until this movie. Right. Like I, I, I talk about the scale of what the Star Destroyer looks like over Jetta City, 
Right. And then now here it is being dwarfed by a Death Star. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, like, space is big, right? So it makes sense that there would be big stuff to put in space, (laughs) if that makes any sense. But, like, yeah, it's huge. The Death Star is huge. It's it's a moon. But I think it gets, um, I think it gets kind of flip-flopped in our minds a little bit because we know it as a small moon, right? Like That we forget how big a moon actually is. A moon is big, and, and there are big moons in the galaxy. Like, to call something a small moon means, oh, that would be pretty small for a moon, but it's moon-sized. It's not an asteroid, right? Right. It's not just a piece of rock. That's a moon. Yeah. So it's, it's got to be the size of, like, a continent. <laughs> like, that's what we're talking about here in terms of scale. Yeah, we've got these Star Destroyers as itty-bitty cities, you know. Jeddah City can't be that big, but a Star Destroyer is bigger than, the, than Jeddah City. Jesus. That's beautiful. The music here is way too good. Way oh, so, too good. so anyways, what I was going to say... We didn't talk about Tarkin, say, but he's great. Yeah, Tarkin, Tarkin is great in this scene, and so is Krennic. Yes, of course. And this flashback is really effective as well. There's not a lot done or said in this, but there's a lot communicated. L- but look how, like, young and happy and bright-eyed Krennic is. Like, even the, the slight change in how he presents in this scene shows you that he wasn't always as ruthlessly evil as we see him. Like, that there was, like, a, we're doing a good job, and I feel good about the job we're doing, like, <laughs> attitude that he had back then. Just in that little moment where he took a sip, right? They're they're celebrating as friends. Yeah. Um, Lyra's and, not happy, but... Well, Lyra, Lyra dis- disagrees with the entire situation. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that transformation like is really clear even in that moment that we get which is again a lot of showing not a lot of telling in this movie i and i've, I've said it before and i'll say it again the shot where, where galen sets her down on the bed and it cuts to her being putting herself into the hole in the ground is an outstanding piece of editing yeah just the the match on action there and the the contrast between the moments yeah. right where you could you could see her thinking like my father put me in that hole i i you know she's a little angry at him and upset and she thinks that he's you know not she she was convinced that he was dead and that if he's not dead he's you know a bad guy now and now she's being given a little bit of hope that that might not be true neither of those things are true maybe um it's I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna cry about Jin and Galen today. Just letting you know. <laughs> Just letting you know I, that's on the on the docket for later. I do feel prepared. Um so so anyways, now that we've seen the Star Destroyer again, uh I I've been thinking about the way that we describe the look of things in this movie. And you said, look at this Lego Star Destroyer, right? <laughs> but like, okay, we say it looks like Legos. But we also agree that this is the best that a Star Destroyer has has ever ever looked. looked. Oh, yeah. So I don't understand that because both things are true in my brain. Well, it was really just that one shot of the Star Destroyer coming into the light where it really looked like Legos. Yeah. Um, But 
but yeah, no, it, it kind of looks like a Lego here too, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in like, a good way. Yeah, like why in a is tangible, that so good? Why is that so perfect like, for a star destroyer that like when we see it, it looks like Legos. When it breaks apart, it kind of breaks apart like Legos, and yet that's what our brains expect. I think it's because a Lego star destroyer is something that I have touched and felt with my own hands. I huh. know what a Lego star destroyer looks and feels like. And then I see it, it, it makes it more like tangible and physical. Like I now know that the Star Destroyer could, could be there in reality. It's not just a, um, it's not just a CG thing. Ew. Yeah. Okay. So you are going to walk away from the screen no, for about the I'm next gonna, 15 seconds, right? I'm going to watch it. It's just those little tentacles on his belly scooching him along are so nasty. Everything about the Borgullet is upsetting. Uh, but, like, it also kind of draws another parallel to Jabba's palace. Like, that he has, like, a monster on call to torture his enemies, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's interesting. I don't know if there's a whole lot of parallels being meant to be drawn here. But now that we've said this is different than Jabba's palace, I'm also thinking about how it's similar. Like, it is the den of a minor villain almost like i know saw eventually is on our side but to um, Bodhi, he's somebody who's hurting him that looked horrible what a horrible yeah. thing to do to somebody oh, right and one it, tends to lose one's mind like how like, dare you yeah right there's got to be a better way to interrogate somebody um well, not that interrogation is okay either it's just but oh like, it's a horrible thing it's hard yeah. to watch and not just because I think that tentacles are nasty. It's just that... <laughs> Look, it's our friend. Oh, here... <laughs> no, it's clone of Dr. Evanson. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's Bodhi. I wonder how many people in this city know Bodhi Rook. Local boy. Well, he's a local boy. So, right? so I wonder how many people yeah. see that picture and go, oh, my God. <laughs> Bodhi's that's, in trouble. That's little Bodhi. Well, that's probably why nobody would turn him over, right? Though there must be somebody who's willing to. Yeah. Rebellions are built on hope. <laughs> there it is. That's the thing. You said the thing. That is the uh, thesis statement of the movie. <sighs> I love this scene. Yeah, Jetta City feels very fully realized for the amount of time that we spend in it. It feels As... like a place that used to be big and beautiful and 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 vibrant, special and holy and is now occupied and scary. It yeah. feel it feels real. Yeah, you could you could definitely see how this was the jewel of kind of Jedi spirituality in a lot of yeah. ways, right? Like Yeah. Exactly. Though I guess I guess there is a difference between like the wills and all of that and the Jedi, but they're closely related. Definitely related. And, and of course there's the, the Jedi here. temple. Yeah. I would say Chiri here is is part of that relationship yeah. between the Jedi and the wills. And the and the Kyber Temple and all of that—it's all different parts of the same belief system. And there's Chirrut knowing that she's wearing a piece of Kyber around her neck. Right. 
causing trouble. <laughs> Cassie, causing trouble for cause... everybody. What does that mean? Cassie, you cause trouble for a living. <laughs> That's your job. You are a troublemaker. <laughs> Very. You gotta love this tank. It is. I do. We we haven't really seen tanks in Star Wars outside of like the um. I guess like the droid tanks and also the clone tanks, right? It's a it's a very Clone Wars type thing, um, because there's there's lots of those in the prequel trilogy, uh, but not a lot in the sequel or OT trilogy. Um, it's just neat to see a tank here. <laughs> what whoa? What whoa? It really feels like the partisans here have a story. Like there's so many of them and they're they're also varied in like personality just from what we can see of them. And and in um species and and so you know, we know that's a rebellion thing that the yeah. imperials are not into alien species or non-human species. Sweet yeah, man. it's kind of it's kind of hard. I I sometimes end up using the word alien when I'm talking about non-humans in Star Wars, right? But yeah, it's I guess really they're all kind of do. aliens. Um, there is something. There is an episode to be done and something to be said. I don't want this to go unsaid. But it, there is something really difficult about this scene and about how many of the partisans are 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 veiled and dressed in a very stereotypical way and how much this scene is supposed to feel like the war in the middle east yeah um that it's not a topic for today but i feel like i think i like i think about this a lot and the the kind of the kind of stereotypes that this scene leans into which is not super comfy um and it yeah it there there there's an episode about this in the future but um. absolutely yeah i feel like if we tried to talk about it now the movie would move on before we got anywhere close to the, <laughs> the level of depth we've already like like over talked on certain certain topics <laughs> over other scenes a few yeah. times <laughs> but um, I, there the movie gets praise for the way that this is shot and the i, I guess the verisimilitude of this whole thing like it looks like a modern war movie, right? Um, but also, like, why does it look that way? Yeah. And why does it lean into imagery that, yeah, does feel, for lack of a better word, kind of Islamophobic, right? Yeah. Um, no, that's a, a, a very appropriate way to put it. It's a, yeah. a conversation I've seen had online a few times um, but never to anyone's satisfaction. This it, is my favorite shot of Jetta City, by the way. It's gorgeous. Like, Jetta City looks green and vibrant and and even clean from up there, but back down here on the street, it looks uh, just completely devastated. Yeah. These are prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> We're transporting prisoners for transport. Uh, I'm gonna imprison them in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I just slapped him across the face. 
He's... Cassian's looking at him like, are you serious? I mean, that, that on-set anecdote that that was all improvised. Um, it's so good. Yeah. I, I really hope that's all true. Yeah. It looks like it is because Diego Luna is having a is with like <laughs> really hard a time holding it together. Smile <laughs> on his face is so good. Wow. Think of the parallel between that shot there, with him walking from that side of, from one side of the screen to the other, and he's in profile, to the the shot of him at the end. Um, walking to the um. Uh, to the master switch, the, the same direction. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I this this scene is poetry in motion. I I have a really hard time talking over some of this movie. <laughs> this is one of those moments. But Donnie you're right. There's so there's good. a lot of there's a lot of parallels. It was just specifically that walk that he makes when he's like, let them pass in peace. And he takes a very slow walk from, from right to left. It's just, it's the same shot later. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. bring it up later too. <laughs> <laughs> God. K2, come on. K2 is so good. But Jin literally throws her body in front of him. Wild, right? Because this is the first that she's kind of expressed any care for him. And, and she still, even later, is... doesn't express a lot of love for him. Right, but it is, not, it not is until the end. full commitment, though, when we get it from her. When you're on her team, you are on her team. I protected you what's the difference right like that's that's what that that's what this movie is saying like what is the difference between the force and the actions of these seemingly ordinary people right yeah like what's the difference between the force protecting you and having somebody who watches your back and protects you i really like that i i, I that was that was a really good way to phrase that. Um, I really like how, how Jen there says, how she builds up to calling herself Jen Urso later. The, yeah. She doesn't I'm say it here. She doesn't Urso. say, I'm Jen Urso, daughter of Galen Urso. She saves that. Right. Right now, she's just the daughter of Galen Urso. That's what matters. And you would think that maybe some of the partisans here would know if she's like, it's me, Jin. Um, and they'd be like, oh, snap, little Jin. Saw's, wow, we abandoned you. Saw's daughter? We left you on that planet that one time. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she's she's not owning up to that part of her identity or that part of her life uh, here. Not yet. But also I think she's being a little protective of uh, exactly what her relationship is to Saw, right? Like, tell Saw, it's me, Jin. He'll He'll come and get us she's maybe afraid of what that might mean uh if she if she tries that i never noticed that before that's a physical jajar yeah. board yeah that's every other time we see it it's hollow hollow chess but here it is uh absolutely just 
It's a physical big old, board. Big old miniatures. How funny. I never noticed that before. Yeah, you it's, learn it's something a, new every time you watch. It's a low-tech Jabba's Palace. Like, I think they even have... Like, they don't have live music, right? But there's some music playing. No, and there was um, a hollow of a uh, Twi'lek dancer. Right. And not an actual Twi'lek dancer. Like right. Like Jabba's Palace. It's it's interesting just how how many parallels there are here. Yeah. He's praying. <laughs> <laughs> it is possible. Just wow. absolutely just got him dead to rights there, didn't you, Jared? Dead to rights. Even Bayes sits there and is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's oh, yeah. a read. Good, good one. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, Two Tubes, and his brother were in Solo. Were they? Mm-hmm. Well, they were both in Solo, and then just one of them is here. Uh, I can't ever remember if it's Edric or the other one. But, um, yeah, he's in Solo. He's in, uh, at the end with, um, Aaron Kellerman. What's her name? Um, uh, Nest. Oh, yeah. Another kind of proto-rebellion group, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the connection, is, is the Two Tubes guy. And his brother. Who's, yeah, whose name I can't remember. Oops. <laughs> Um, but there's no way that he doesn't know who Jenner is when he's, you know, throwing her around. Right. Of all days, he's going to say it. He's going to say the thing. Oh, there it is. It's a trap. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. You've got to think that that maybe somewhere in the back of Saw's mind, he he thinks that this can't be happening. Like, that this is, like, some kind of, like, ghost from his past haunting him. Like, he's not crazy, right? He, he believes this moment, but, like, why is he acting this way? He's feeling the full range of emotions about this. Yeah. Like... Why is this happening now to me? Why is all of this happening at the same time? It's all happening now at the same time. I've got this guy who claims to have info from Galen, and then Jin shows up? Yeah. Like, this can't be a coincidence. Either they sent her to kill me, they said all of them are here to kill me, or or maybe it's the end for me. Yeah. Otherwise. Like... She's either going to kill me or I'm going to die a different way. But this is it. I think yeah. I think Saw knows. And that's part of why he doesn't run. That this was this was the end for him no matter what. Yeah. Because this is, I mean, of all the things that he's worked towards. And all of the things that he's cared about. Jin is like a button on that. A huge mistake and a huge sin of his past coming you know, 
coming back to him is i mean that's gotta it's gotta hurt really bad yeah and if you're as aware of you know poetic irony as it seems that saw is where he goes well (laughs) jen's back i hurt her really bad this is my past coming back to haunt me maybe this is the end for me yeah i mean there's i think there's an implication with saw that he regrets a lot of his methods um that he has he's consistently seen as necessary oh statement not a manifesto (laughs) (laughs) just cuts him off That's an interesting crosscut, right? From from the order to fire and the primary ignition starting up to Chirrut notices something. Yeah. It I, there seems to be an implication that he's feeling that. Yeah, I was just noticing that too. But also, that's not what happens in the scene, right? He's like, "Oh, who's that in the next cell?" Like his his feelings are extended that far. But you've got to, you've got to, you got to assume that there's a ripple in the force when somebody powers up a Death Star, right? Oh, I mean, possibly. Oh, Bodhi. Oh, man. I think that right away there is there is a gentleness to how Cassian approaches Bodhi. He gets he he guesses something's wrong. Right. That like if if he just like starts yelling and starts demanding answers, that's not gonna help him. Yeah. Uh like he, he He's good has at that reading read people. on him. Yeah. He has to be good at reading people. Yeah. Okay, here we are. I like when Saw looks at Jin. There's a flaw so small and powerful. Cuts to Krennic. Krennic, a flaw, small and powerful within the Death Star. 
Yikes! Yeah, uh, it. The more the more I think about the timing on the cross cutting and just the absolute powerhouse performance that is that speech, um, the the more I am convinced that that's definitely that moment is the heart of the movie. <laughs> um, the way that that's like the thesis statement of the movie, like right. This is the Death Star. I built it. Here's where the flaw is. I mean, that's literally like the plot of the movie, right? But right, also, it, it's em- like emotional and terrible. There's there's the obvious parallels to Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope, right? Yeah. The, the same message basically being passed along. Um, Saw is Galen's Obi-Wan. Yeah. Which is which is so it's so brilliant that there's that that parallel right here that like somebody I trusted during a maybe not a better time but a similarly desperate time, right? Yeah. Um I'm going to I'm going to try and pass them a message cuz I know that they could do something with it. Um and even if I'm captured or dead, they can carry it on. It's it's again sending along hope. Um, but what what makes that speech from Galen so important is that he's talking to both Jin and Saw, right? Yeah. Like, Saw, if you find Jin, show her this part. Okay, Saw, this is what we need to do. Um, and I think that's, I don't know, there, there's something about the way that it's for both of them. And that it changes Saw almost immediately when they watch it together, right? Yeah. That he he seems back to himself. Yeah. Uh, And he seems back to purpose. I love everything about this. It's so scary. I love that we focus on Bodhi here the most. You gotta love the line punch it yeah i love punch it i also love i haven't made our calculations he says it in a second i'll make them for you it's so good yeah saws himself again this is the 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 lion saw Guerrera, the the young man he used to be facing down the boulder look at that you get you get the impression that even when he first found Jin, that he was a completely different man, and that it's the intervening time since he lost her 
that has made him the kind of paranoid guy that he is now. Yeah. And Jin, that, maybe having Jin, I mean, he, he, it, in the book, in Rebel Rising, you see him, he refers to Jin as his daughter a lot. And at first it's like a cover, like, uh, like, oh yeah, pretend to be my kid and no one will care. But eventually he, he kind of just becomes her new dad. And the, the act of leaving her behind, even though he knows it was the right thing to do, like that, I mean, that had to have hurt him. Like, well, really he did bad. it. He did it because he knew he couldn't trust the people around him anymore with her. Like it was, it was he broke her trust because his trust was broken with yeah. his partisans. Like he he had to do that to maintain his leadership because people were starting to figure it out. Yeah, and that's, I mean, there's no way that doesn't hurt a person deeply. Yeah. So he knows. He's like, I know. I need to let her go you know need to let her go and she needs to go be her own person but and and that i can't keep her safe anymore but i can't feel right about it and that he doesn't trust the people around him has to feed into that paranoia too right love it my achievement <laughs> <laughs> i love immediately and i love director Ugh. It's so melodic. They got his speech pattern so, so perfectly. Facility. Like. So, so exacting. The diction um, is impeccable. Absolutely. Yeah, he looks great. he's right he's totally I, I mean he doesn't know that there was a message yeah he doesn't know anything about Galen or so he he the the movie does a lot of work to cast that decision in a negative light, but it, it is the only decision that makes any sense. Like, I mean, I mean, he's focusing just on Galen Erso, as but like if the thing's already built and functioning, the scientist and architect in charge of it isn't the person you want to assassinate, right? I guess you would make a more effective prisoner than than an assassination target. Right, it's like it's done. It's powerful. It works. But like, why do you need to kill the guy who built it? I they must they must not believe that they can extract him. Right. But not to not even try. Oh, you brought the message. She gets it. She gets it right away. Oh, Jen. This is this is something that Jin would have wanted to hear from her father. Yes. Yes, it's exactly. And she, the, that that's the guidance that she would have wanted. The, you can do right by yourself if you just listen to what's in your heart. You can make a difference, you can fix things, you can do something about it. 
you know, think about it. This might be the moment where Jin decides to help. When she we, hears we say, from Bodhi. We say that it's the somewhere between her fight with Cassian after Edu, and then Six she lands old. on on Yavin and and you know makes the speech. Yeah. Like we have to do something. But right here, she's like, no, like, there's a way to defeat it. We can do it. It's not too late, she says. She, she said it's not too late. And basically, like, it looks pretty late to me. And she's like, no, yeah. it's not, though. What I, what we, I think... We haven't been giving Jin enough credit for coming to all these realizations early enough. That's true. And and I think we, we probably haven't given Bodhi enough credit as, for lack of a better word, a catalyst for Jin waking up here right you keep saying for lack of a better word but then you find the perfect, the perfect word, word. <laughs> <laughs> only because i feel like i'm stealing the name of the book no it's, per- it's literally perfect <laughs> but no, like yeah. that's that's what makes Jin go oh i have information that can be used i have knowledge and skills we can do something we can do right by ourselves we can help the galaxy yeah and then she says and let's go get my dad we'll bring him back with us and and yeah. my dad will tell will tell the council everything she's here she's ready she might not be ready yeah. to go to to scarif herself on a suicide mission yet but she is she no. is already at a position where if she were in front of the council she'd be like well let's act on the message let's let's do it let's get it done I think that maybe maybe why we don't see that as Jin's transformation point into a rebel is because she's still pretty self-interested when it comes to how she wants this to work out. Like, let's rescue my dad and then we'll be we'll be able to fix it and I will feel good about that yeah. instead of this is what we all need to do to save the rebellion. It's like, it's about her closure, right? Right. And it's not really until her dad dies that she's... She's like, ready to pick it all up and, and be the to, next one yeah, to do something. To take up the mantle of, of action that yeah. used to belong. She was like, oh, I'll go get my dad, and my dad will be the one to tell the council everything, and I will have done the right thing. And then once he's yeah. gone... It, the choice is now oh he can't do it i must do it i'm yeah this is my responsibility now i feel like maybe that's a little rash <laughs> yeah. um like 30 seconds of radio silence doesn't mean you got to go destroy a, a base necessarily. Yeah, we can't get him. Oh my god, his comms don't work. Well, <laughs> better go blow up the whole thing. Yep. Although when he says later a decision needed to be made, like that like I do I, understand. I, I get it. The idea. <laughs> Did I tell you you and everyone listening that I tweeted at Alistair Petrie the um the actor who plays Draven, I tweeted at him on his birthday, and I was like, he, "I was like, you get it, you, you know, you acted when no one else would, and I'm, you know, we're proud of Draven for it." And he tweeted back, and he said, "That's a really interesting perspective. Thank you." 
I was like, that's amazing. I was like, has nobody told him that Draven actually might be a better guy than like did was he he's spending this whole time thinking he was a villain? He he must have been directed <laughs> in such a way where it made him feel like he was the bad guy in the situation. Yeah, I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was very nice. <laughs> it's just it's just good to know that like. I feel like to be involved in a Star War, to to even have a minor role, has got to be such such a great experience for just about anybody, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's just good to know that, like, the folks that are even a small part of these movies, like, feel something about them. Uh, that there's something about being involved in Star Wars that feels like it's a little bit more than a job, because it's Star Wars, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's like a responsibility and like a legacy. Yeah. It's nice when you see people that get really into it. When you see actors that start becoming fans. Yeah. Like, I, I really enjoy that. Or even actors that start out as fans and and get to live out that dream. Yeah. And you see it more and more these days because there's more and more Star Wars. Well, there's um, more and more kids that grew up watching Star Wars and yeah. that are becoming the, the age of the actors that they need to make the the stories talk about things that last generations that spans generations that will continue to span generations um star wars is that yeah jen looks awesome in this outfit yeah you gotta kind of love it honestly to talk about callbacks again this looks it like looks standard like... issue uh endor <laughs> i was gonna say it looks like return of the jedi yeah she looks a little like leia There Beautiful. is that parallel to Leia that that Jin and Leia have similarities. That Jin is a bit like Padme. That that theory that you had that um, yeah that, that that in her speech to the council that she's a bit like Padme. Yeah, that Mon Mothma like, yeah. looks at um, oh gosh, what's his name? Bail Organa. <laughs> Bail Organa. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that they that they look at each other and they're like, whoa, this sounds like this sounds like Padme. This sounds like Leia. And they're about the same age. They are like, about the same age. There is, uh, there. I think there's a reference in the comics to, I have to do more research, but I think there's a reference in the comics to Saw meeting with the Rebel Council when he decides to break off and kind of do his own thing. That that little baby Jin is there and little baby Leia is there with Bale. And they, they cross paths in the same like council meeting. But they were both so like young and... Like kept on no opposite way. sides of the room that they yeah. didn't like actually meet but i mean it makes sense that there would have been a, a time when they would have at least passed each other i feel like Jin's yeah. maybe a little older than leia at this point um, yeah maybe a, like a little but they're all supposed to be like leia's supposed to be what 19 at the beginning of a new hope i think so and, something like and, that and Jin is what 22 here yeah 23 like young but just a little bit older than leia but Cassian's a little bit older even than than that. He's got to be like 30. I know there are numbers for this. It's just we're watching live it's and I'm not looking it It's somewhere on Wikipedia, up. the <laughs> online Star Wars encyclopedia that anybody can edit. Um. <laughs> it's that, yeah, that, the, but they all would have been children at about the same time, kind of running around the same The facilities. same rebel bases. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, doing very I guess different jobs. Part, part of it, part of it is that the the Ursos went into hiding, you know, years ago, yeah, a long time ago, and that Saw broke off from the rebellion a long time ago too. Yeah. What? Me? We gotta do this outside in the rain. <laughs> yeah, because Galen Erso's not allowed to be dry. <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> That's, uh, honestly, it's an interesting parallel. We talk a lot about how this is a similar scene to the standoff on Lemu. Yeah. And like, it's that same lineup wet. of stormtroopers. And Galen also tries to lie and and save people he cares about. Yeah. Of course, now he's coming clean. But he's he's doing whatever he can. And so the, the question is, why does it have to rain both times? <laughs> and I guess the answer is to, to make your brain remember what happened I guess. in the first scene of the movie. Also because Mads Mikkelsen looks really good. <laughs> when, he, when he's just sopping <laughs> wet. Sopping wet. And he looks really good no matter what. Yeah. Oh, Cassian. See, that that was all internal. That was... There's something... There's something about what he's doing that disagrees with his training. Right? Uh, it kind of reminds me of the the first time we see Finn when he takes off his stormtrooper helmet. Yeah, the, the transformation that goes on in his face, where um, where he's like, "I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't." Yeah, yeah. Um, and that same might as well be a stormtrooper <laughs> moment, right? Yeah. Well, he's just rejected that. He knows what he was supposed to have done, and he couldn't do it because he just watched Galen throw himself in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. And and in the books it says that he could see Galen's face and, and he sees Jin's eyes and you know, it's very cute. Um Oh he he cares so much about Jin. Um that um he wasn't able to do it and so he doesn't and then he gets called a stormtrooper like a minute later and that hurts that hurts him. He goes through a lot. Oh, and most of it is unspoken. Now, where have I heard that before? Do you think there was... Do you think there was what? Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm just... I, I'm getting carried away by the movie again. It's so Do good. you think there was a... Uh, a effort made by Krennic to try to be friends with Galen again? Like, even after he, he had his wife murdered... <laughs> Do you I feel bet. like there was like a we're still friends, right? Like I bet there thing was. from him. I because yeah. there's there's a there's a familiarity to the way that he I, I this is this is so weird to say, but there's a familiarity to the way that he gets up in his face to brag about his victory. <laughs> like yeah. the way that he's like Jedi City, Saw Guerrera, the last remainder of the Jedi, they're gone. And I like, did you can, it. <laughs> you can feel like you you kind of feel that there's hang on. Oh, ouch! Ah, uh, jeez. That 
that little that moment cut, where he sees and he knows that that's Jin and that she's there. Yeah. It's just... He's like, somebody just said father. I know. I know that was my girl. He's he's never heard her voice. Not since she was a little kid. Since she was six-ish, right? Eight-ish? Like, there, that's got to be uh, that, that heart-rending. Um, anyways. Krennic goes to take aim, then. He's ready. He's ready to. He's like, "There's a stranger here. I gotta, I gotta shoot this person." Yeah. And then sits in his little shuttle as they leave. Like, oh my god, like was that what? Did that just happen? You see Krennic's face as they fly away later. Like, I swear, that just happened, and I'm very uncomfortable with the fact that I like wasn't able to finish the job. Dang, cheer it. Um, like Krennic's face as they fly away or as they put him in he's like that was was that what's going on like honestly to, to talk about Jin as a ghost from the past that shows up to haunt people yeah like like this is a this is a parallel this is this is Krennic being reminded of of something he's done uh, specifically to the Ursos, to, and that includes Jin, right? Like, yeah, he's and just he, heard the line again. You'll never. They weren't win. ever able to find Jin, and here she is suddenly at this moment. And so he's like, "That was a loose thread that I didn't tie from before." No, and then he looks around and he sees everybody's, you know, flat on the ground, including Galen, and he's like, "No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I got to keep going." Yeah. there's got to be there's got to be a part of Galen that doesn't believe this either right yeah like I'm dying and I'm hallucinating I'm seeing my daughter I'm 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 feeling hope right like yeah it's I mean that makes it even more tragic but there's I get this recurring sense that Jin is not necessarily her entire like corporeal form she feels like one of the ghosts of Christmas past like she just keeps showing up to to people that like regret things about her yeah um and maybe the only person she's real to is is Cassian and the rest of the Rogue One crew yeah because even like even the way Bodhi talks to her on the ship when he's like, I'm the, pi- I'm the pilot. And he doesn't quite like when she's like, oh, yeah, you brought the message. Tell me about my father, Galen. And he's like, your father, what? Like, he's not quite like there understanding what's going on. It feels like, yeah, like Cassian's the one that's really like not just looking out for her, but like. Seeing her as real. Yeah. You're a rebel now. Yay! It's Bodhi. He did it. He's coming back to himself now.
Oh, incredible. What a transition. Incredible. Oh my gosh, that, that fade up. Oh, on her just shattered. Feeling center, everything. Center screen. Uh, and now as we fly through a storm, we experience Hurricane Jen. Things don't always get framed. I don't know a lot about cinematography, but you don't see a lot of things in dead center of the frame. That's like a like you you hold that for a special moment. Uh, you like... a, a character looking directly at or just past the camera centered in the frame is like a Wes Anderson style thing. <laughs> like you see that you see that because somebody wants to flex that they're doing it. It's yeah. not invisible filmmaking. Um, no. So that shot of Jin standing there, dead center, eyes blank, just feeling emotions, was such a... Del- with no sound behind her, a really yeah. deliberate, really pretty choice. I wish we could rewind with the, uh, with the audience and go back and watch it. <laughs> but this is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, and, and unfortunately, the... Uh... The commentary must go on. Yeah. But now we get to watch this scene. It it occurs to me that there's something dripping in this scene, which implies that there's like a leak on this ship. But this ship is going to go into space. Oh, no. That'd be very bad. (laughs) I guess it was just raining really hard. In, In the ship? Maybe sideways. Maybe maybe they something had the door wet open got put for a up. <laughs> I don't have this. Dang. Again with the he personal doesn't, space. He, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to, but just because he's not wrong doesn't mean he's not a jerk. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's he is not obligated to justify himself. I love that. I how, love that moment. From how Baze just just nopes out of the conversation. He's like, "I would it's rather like, have a nap." We just escaped actual hell, and now you're yelling at each other. I watched my city die today. I'm going to lay down. I feel like, I mean, to talk about another A New Hope uh, parallel, right? It's just like how the destruction of Alderaan is somehow overshadowed by the loss of Obi-Wan, right? Yeah, because Leia is sitting there comforting Luke when Who has Old known ben Obi-Wan dies. for, like, maybe maybe he's encountered Obi-Wan when he was younger, um, but he's, like, truly interacted and known Obi-Wan for a couple of days. Yeah. And, and he's feeling Leia's that just, loss really deeply. Leia's just lost a whole planet, and she's holding him? Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, but... But it's, it I mean, speaks to her compassion and character. Yeah, but it also I think it it speaks to something about Star Wars where it's always going to be more about the personal and interpersonal than the grand scale of the galactic conflict. And and the this movie understands that really clearly. Yeah. That Dang. like what's happening on the galactic scale is less important than what's happening to the people we're here now watching. Yeah. So destroy an entire city. Wait, here we go. Yes. Savior of the universe, chosen one, emerging from the fog, bathed in golden light. Anakin freaking Skywalker. (laughs) Absolutely. Dang. 
I mean, what a flex. It's a beautiful entrance. Golly. Uh, and, and so anyways, I, I just, this movie understands that it's about people. It's not about blowing up a planet. It, it can't be, right? Yeah. It's about the, the human beings that we care about. He's so snarky. What do you deserve, Krennic? I know it's James Earl Jones, but he sounds different. Well, you know, James Earl Jones got older in the in the interim. Yeah. I mean, the everybody's everybody's performance is going to change. Um but you're right, it does sound completely unlike... I feel like what it is, is that it's not as heavily modulated. There should be a little more static. I agree. This I is a very clearly, sounded... clearly uh, ren rendered version of Vader's voice. Yeah. Oh, the sound design. So good. He could Come Okay, he on. could He could put choke <laughs> in like a little bit more italics and I think it would work even better. Be careful like, not to choke on your yeah. aspirations. <laughs> like you can you can feel the italics, but you're not there should be more hearing italics. them necessarily. <laughs> we could go hev heavier. I love the costume choices in this scene. I love everyone's costumes. I really like Bale's cloak with, like, these three pins in it. I love her gold, the gold scarf, the gold um, shawl over her head. It just drapes so gorgeously. Oh, hello. <laughs> Is that Antok Merrick? Antok Merrick. Even Anderson here looks good. I don't remember the character's name. But it's Anderson from Sherlock. Yeah. You know, the guy playing General Dodonna is uh, the guy who played... I guess played, it's Vaspar, um, according to the, the one subtitles. Of them, one of them is Vaspar. Oh, are you watching the subtitles? Yeah. That's cool. What, one of them is Vaspar. One of them, uh, the woman, I think, is Pomlo. Yeah. Um, oh, I gotta let her say this. Look at that. Oh, that look up. It's beautiful. Absolutely incredible. What is she proposing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, the actor who plays uh, General Dodonna is the guy who plays Barris and Selmy on Game of Thrones. Oh. So, Sir Barry Stan. You That's a shot. That was a hell of a shot. She's going to say the thing. Say the line. Yeah. Roll credits. <laughs> Roll credits, the end of the movie. 
Everyone's fine. <laughs> I say we fight. Yeah. Just kick what's his name off the council. There you go. Just kick Anderson off the council and do it. <laughs> Vaspar, you Without said? Without the full I that support. Was the other one. Yeah, Vaspar. It has to be a unanimous decision every time. It's That's not rude. a good way to run a council. It's rude. The force is strong. I love everything about everything about this. It's so cheeky, the way that he just kind of points. Yeah, it's so cute. Look at K two in the background. He's so tall. Some, most, all. Like it, it's it's the way that he he slowly encompasses the entire group, in that in the that delivery. Yeah. For me, I, this is this is what is gonna make the Cassian Andor series so unique and why it's going to need to strike such a balance. Because it's gonna be hard to watch a character continuously make a choice that he doesn't like making for a cause he believes in. Yeah. Without getting anything out of it. You're going right? to watch that develop over the 12 episodes of the show. And by the end, he's going to be like having a, like a really hard time. Unless yeah. it's unless the show is about like one specific mission that he's on. And like and like very little time passes. The like the cru the emotional crux of the show is going to be, have to be about that conflict that he's having. Look at that. Look at that <laughs> face. It's like a Both dance. Both of them. It's, it's it was like a dance. The most intimate thing for these characters is to welcome each other into their space. And they do it, it it's right not, away. It's not even to make contact. They just get really close together. And he's like smiling at her when he does it. It's very, very, dare I say sexy? I, I think you dare. There's dare. There's tension to it, yeah. which is what makes it... Um, a compelling character moment right yeah. like there's a feeling that maybe there would be more to it if the situation were exactly what it is yeah <laughs> uh situation normal we're all fine here how are you
Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is now. Well, there is now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pulling away. That's the end of our show. <laughs> uh, tune in next month for the last 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> no. No, there's an hour left in this movie. Is yeah, 50, the Battle of Scarif is 45 minutes long. <laughs> Dividing we, it up into parts for this podcast was impossible. Because the Battle of Scarif just kept happening. It just never stopped happening. It really was like when we reached this moment in recording, when I was like, all right, we got to plan the next few months of, oh, gosh. It's just all Battle of Scarab. You know how many times I watched just the last 45 minutes of this movie trying to find the just the right buttons to end the each segment of our podcast on? How many times? Like, like seven. <laughs> it took a long time. Just Captain Antilles, no relation to Wedge Antilles. No. No, it's just a it's a good Alderanian. Just another Antilles. Name. Alderanian? <laughs> Alderanian? Alderanian? I've heard it both ways. <laughs> it's an older code, sir, but it, it checks, checks out. out. Hey, uh, do you know of any security protocol where having an old code checks out if, if it's an old code that they didn't um didn't discard like if they're just holding on to an old code like like security codes surely security codes of different things change more or less frequently right, right. it's not like they change every single security code every other day no, but they do change them frequently enough so that if somebody were to get a code, by the time they were able to use it, it would no longer be useful. So, older older code should spark suspicion. Like, they should be like, okay, land and we'll, like, inspect you. Like, it's weird that you don't have the new code. Everybody got the new code. <laughs> Well, for these guys coming from Edu, and he's like, we've been rerouted from Edu. They're like, ah, yes, Edu, the one that was just blown up. I understand why you don't have the new code. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the, 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 the line, it's an older code, but it checks out. Dang, look at them. Wow. Oh, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> um, but the, that, that line, it's an older code, sir, but it checks out. Is that Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Um, they do get suspicious. Yeah, they but do, Vader, Vader tells them to let him through. Yeah, because Vader knows. Because like, uh, he's they, like, oh, Skywalker's on that ship. Yeah, that's the only reason why that older code works. I guess. I mean, I, I guess, guess it takes a lot of signal. Bigger dish, bigger signal? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. I feel like that is how it works. I don't I know don't, anything about signals. I don't know anything about signals, but it sounds good to me. A bigger dish does sound like you'd be able to send bigger signals. Sure. Hey, uh, these guys are going to need a pep talk, Jin. You got this right, Jin. Somebody, <laughs> somebody with a lot of good social skills is going to need to give a pep talk. And Jin's like, great, I guess that's me today. <laughs> 
talking about uh hair right Jin's hair in this scene especially yeah it looks good like it looks appropriate for the moment it doesn't look super put together at all but it does look right like for the day that she's had yeah <laughs> and that she neatens it up when she puts the uniform on it's like she has a minute to like tie it back again Yeah. Uh, there's like fourteen of us. <laughs> so we can we can at best do like. Are we round? Are we rounding down? Hundred and five. It's a beautiful. I love too. sea turtle ship. Sea turtle <laughs> ship landing on a tropical planet is nice. It's just it's just a good image. It all makes sense to my to my eyes and to my brain. Yes. I say this is a particularly beautiful piece of score as they come in. Um the violins kind of have like a like a creepy stank to them. Um This just, part? Well, yeah, this but but more like when they were already coming in. It just oh, sounded I see. really good, but the the way the like undercover sounds of yeah of the score sound sound really good <laughs> that moment is so scooby doo like it <laughs> it just absolutely feels like some star wars hijinks oh the manifest climb down this hatch <laughs> like i don't know yeah but i feel does. like any in, in, imperial inspector worth their salt is like uh so no. you go down and get it for me <laughs> can you maybe your job is to present a manifest my job is to stand here and have it presented do you not know how this works wait a minute i don't think this guy's imperial <laughs> he's wearing the jumpsuit oh this is so sweet oh that's so sweet Cassian is just scruffy enough that he shouldn't be able to get away with this. It's like... Yeah. I mean, I get that there's no time for a shave, but that's not Imperial standard. <laughs> and his hair's just a little too long. I mean, you, you know this isn't the first time that he's dressed as an Imperial to sneak into an Imperial base, though. No, no way. You know how many there's something about the I've read about too. that? <laughs> yeah his whole posture it just, changes it seems like he knows what he's doing I, I mean how hard are imperials looking at each other is the thing right the officers seem pretty self-centered yeah so I mean, he knows that if he just if he just performs it that it's usually enough yeah so impractical 
It's impractical, but it looks cool. It does look cool. And that is a Star War. <laughs> That's You're like right. one of the, the main tenets of Star Wars. Kessler I mean, has how like practical that one is lock it? of hair of his mullet sticking out the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that like, the rest of it got tucked under his collar. Don't you think Jin's a little short to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> <laughs> K2 walks uh, a little fast. He he uh, he really does have a different gait than the it's rest of the K2s. Really or the cool. K KX. The KX units. Melshi's beautiful accent. I just it's the little things. It is the little things. I mean, like those stormtroopers there were just talking about the T16s or 15s. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T16 back home. <laughs> And Luke already has a T-16, so you know that he's, like, spending a lot of money on his, like, rinky-dink little Skyhopper. Like, that is his so main like, ambition. I heard they're finally going to phase those out, and they're like, oh, gosh, about time. <laughs> <laughs> they're still talking about it in A New Hope. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. All of them. When we keep things on giant CDs. How many how many floppy disks of correspondence do you think uh, Galen are so filled up? <laughs> Just so many. This has got to be so tough for K two. Like you're you are rooting around in a brain that is like yours, but that is not yours, and that is different than yours now. Is the thing, right? Yeah. We put I wonder this if out. he like remembers what it was like to be Imperial. I look how like, tired he, he looks. He is definitely worn out from the situation. It definitely took effort. Yeah. And and the way Cassine has to say, you know what you have to do. Right. Go, Cassine. Whew. That was, dare I say. You know, the communicator sexy. didn't need to have a little light on it that, they did that lights up his face when he uses it. <laughs> they did that for us. They did that for us. <laughs> this movie didn't need to go that hard. They did it for us. <laughs> you can't even hear the explosions. Like, Are barely we blind? hear them. It's so good. God, he's so good. Can I tell you that my fiance has set his I need to go to work alarm, not the wake up alarm, but the one that like is like a here's your five minute warning. Go get in the car alarm. Is this freaking klaxon? Really? Yeah. I'm so mad. <laughs> there's, that one. there's something so perfect about the Imperial klaxon. Yeah, he has this one, and I and I also, well, I've been ripping audio for him. I did it. He's got it set because I ripped the audio for him, but he asked me to. Um, he's also got the um, the one from the uh, from the Tana 4, the uh, Rebel Klaxon. Yeah. He's got that as a different alarm. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. I would so, never be able to relax. No, it's, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's really good, though. It makes me laugh every time. Every time he goes, pew, pew. 
I loved Lord Vader. So I'm watching that. this on on my laptop screen, which is a pretty good screen. But you know, since we're streaming it on Disney Plus, it's not like the highest quality I've ever seen this movie in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just laughing at Casey again. <laughs> the way that he just bops him on the head. <laughs> so um, good. Uh, Tarkin looks perfect at this exact bandwidth. Yeah. Like y- you can't. There's that uncanny valley that you hit at, like, a Blu-ray quality, right? But since I'm not watching it at that high of a resolution, he fits perfectly into the scene. Yeah. It's kind of like watching older movies that have been reformatted for HD, and you can see the, like, lines of their makeup on their face. You're like, no, it shouldn't be that high quality. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm of the opinion that uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. I know there was just a a, a really recent release of like an ultra HD. Four K, yeah. Um, but the Lord of the Rings movies look best in exactly DVD quality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. They put a couple of those frames side by side. It was the Battle of Pelennor Fields, and the yeah. like. The original one just looked so green. Like, it had this nasty green filter on it that the new one just looked awesome. It looked clean as heck. But I don't have a 4K TV, so I won't have to worry about that for a while. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny the way that that somehow the the way visual effects work can be very affected by how you watch something. Yeah. Every once in a while I watch Rogue One on my phone. Um, and you can't even tell that Tarkin's fake on on a little itty bitty iPhone screen. No, he just looks like a guy. <laughs> this is so good. I love it. Love that crosscut. It's so beautiful. <laughs> that word Forty <worked>. rebels. <laughs> They didn't need to do this. They didn't need to be this close together. <laughs> this is this is also so Scooby-Doo. They did it for like, us. Like, they're stacked on top of each other trying to get this door to unlock. <laughs> the Scooby-Doo stuff is so... Oh! The way it comes in and out, you can see it for a second, and then the smoke gets in the way of the AT. Oh. outrageous I just love that Carabast is a line that we heard in a Star Wars movie like yes more Star Wars swears please <laughs> uh, like Dank Farrick is very uh, popular right now because it, it has been kind of the catchphrase of Mandalorian this season yeah but honestly like Carabast is my is my favorite curse Carabast hey isn't that the ghost wasn't that the ghost right there? I do believe we just saw a couple of frames of the ghost, yes. Speaking of Carabast. Neat. <laughs> Neat. And close the shield. Yeah, dude. <laughs> no, leave it open. <laughs> They're not locked in here with us. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> We're locked in here with them. Oh, no. 
red and I gold mean, you, leader. You of talk course, about looking this movie amazing. Looking like it could have been made in the seventies. This is where a lot of that like comes to fruition, right? Where you literally get red and gold leader in their original state, like their cut corruptible into this mortal movie. state. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> no. Bummer. Legos. Legos, man. I I absolutely putting the Star Destroyers in like super bright light makes them look like Legos. I just I am still grappling with it, but I think that the more Lego esque you make something in Star Wars, the the better it's gonna look on screen. At least on, on our little screens. I still remember seeing this movie uh, close to its opening. I saw it on a dome screen. Yeah, you did. I'm so jelly. Uh, in in just the IMAXiest of IMAX film reels. Um, it was amazing. And I I think that the Legos actually worked even better at the, at the highest picture quality in I the would, biggest size possible. I would pay good money for a re-release of this movie to go back and, and rewatch it on a big screen. We're recording this in December of 2020. And this is the first year in a couple of years where there hasn't been a star Wars around Christmas. I know. Oh, no, I guess not. I guess since last year, but like it was every other year for a while. And yeah, uh, there, there will be no star Wars this year uh. and presumably next year in theaters. Um, and I feel like that means that what we should be doing is re-releasing previous Star Wars movies in theaters. I, of course, theaters aren't really, you know, on the menu right now. Right. But I like, agree, though. I would pay good money to go see this this four year old movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love that it whirs as it turns, like a, like a growl almost. So like, good. Yay! My I man! Think, <laughs> that smile. <laughs> that damn uh, smile. Um, but I think, I think one cool thing about this scene that it emphasizes uh, is how, like, outgunned the rebels on Hoth were. Because a X-wing can take out an AT-AT pretty easily with, but the with snow good aim. speeders cannot. But a snow speeder is not going to do that because it's yeah. a, it's just a it's a it's not even a snub fighter. It's just a speeder retrofitted yeah. to fly around Hoth. Yeah. And so I, I just like I like that that contextualization of Hoth, where it's like they didn't have anything that could even scratch these walkers ready to join the fight because they needed the x-wings that they had to guard the transports right yeah that's just how boxed in they were and of course when it when it gets echoed again in the last jedi and they're using these retrofitted skimmers yeah that can that can barely even stay flying it it shows you the stakes yet again it's like these three levels of how you engage with the empire or the first order i guess like, There's what weapons do you have? Look at that. Yes. Dang. That U-Wing making that turn. Okay, so, so to bring back something that we were talking about earlier, right? 
this movie gets a lot of praise for how it's reminiscent of war films, right? Like like we were talking about in Jetta and all the problems that that brings to mind. This scene is always compared to like an Apocalypse Now or a similar Vietnam era film. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. Like that whole sequence on the beach with the kind of napalm-esque explosions. It's interesting that those different eras of for lack of a better word like american conflict coexist in this movie um so seamlessly like there's no um there's no dissonance when you see the two different kinds of war that are happening in the star war yeah it's like (laughs) (laughs) there's one it's like uh like all these wars can exist at the same time it's Star Wars. Yeah, because because the main aesthetic is Star Wars, and you're you're putting different layers on top of it for different fights, um, and that I guess that speaks to the flexibility of Star Wars as a franchise, right? Yeah. There he is. There he is. There they are. Dang. Look at him go. You know how many Y Wing fans there are out there. Because it's a lot. Shout out to you Y-Wing fans listening. <laughs> There's also a uh, bunch of people who who hate on Y-Wings as, like, a joke, I think. <laughs> I don't really understand it. The Y-Wing I've discourse it is very, it's very confusing. Ramp up. Like, like, I've heard it before, but it ramped up with the release of the Squadrons game. Oh, yeah. People were, like, <laughs> when they were, wor- like, working through tutorial levels, and they're like, you're telling me I have to learn how to fly an X-Wing and an A-Wing before I get to fly a Y-Wing? <laughs> That's all I want! <laughs> There's just a lot of trash talk about ship models in Star Wars, but I think yeah. everybody's, everybody's like, underrated favorite is the B-Wing. Yeah. Which, like, good for, good for the B-Wing that everybody loves it so much, but the U-Wing has a very special place in my heart. The U-Wing is my favorite. And it, it is a hundred percent because of this movie. I will not oh, pretend. This like it's this not. is the movie that made the U Wing, like yeah. literally and figuratively. I just um like I'm not I'm not even gonna pretend like uh like I have another favorite. It's literally just because U Wings came from this movie, therefore they're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Red Five, no. Poor Red Five. Red Five will fly again. Yes. I love all the the hanging smoke in the air. Hey, uh, why does Jin get a blaster when K2 doesn't? Oh yeah, because he's terrifying. He's really good with it. <laughs> like in, in the in the event that K2's programming is somehow incomplete and he defaults to imperial mode, like that's why you don't want him to have a gun. <laughs> he's so scary. He's too good. Oh, no Bodie. We've all been there with, you know, garden hoses and <laughs> vacuum cleaner cords and oh that was exactly my experience the other day with a vacuum cleaner co- cord and you try to pull I it, it was you think if i pull it if i pull it just right it'll let go but you know it's not gonna work you have to go get it <laughs> you got to do kind of a little whip motion to like get some slack in it like in a wave and that'll that'll get yeah. it over most things come on Bodie, it's not stuck on there it's just laying on there i'm a pilot <laughs> 
I brought the message. <laughs> Bodhi's the best. I feel like Bodhi actually could have talked his way out of that. Totally. Like, rebels, they disconnected this cord. I need to do it because I need to communicate with somebody. Uh, we're, we're trying to get to, get word to the fleet. You know, like, it works. Yeah. If, you, if you've got a stormtrooper asking you to identify yourself, you're already in. Like, they cannot resist a basic explanation. <laughs> They'll be like, that sounds right. And leave. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they got shot before Bodhi could say anything. Yeah. Oh, no, K2, no. There's something about, maybe there's something to be said about the Star Wars stories, the the two mm. of them that we have at the moment, and, kill and Mandalorian. Their, kill off their their main very good droid. And yeah, where, where killing killing a droid is used as an emotional core of a movie. Like I I feel like maybe it's because the prequels and the original trilogy were so beholden to R2-D2 and 3PO, uh, who who can never die. Um, they're just unkillable. <laughs> yeah. But by having these smaller stories with significant droids, we're able to kind of humanize them more. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then for some reason kill them. It's weird, the trend of, of post-sequel trilogy droids getting killed in in non-trilogy works because you would never kill bb8 he cannot die no that would be like killing a puppy right but so if cute. you if you kill k2 and l3 and ig11 um like that that tells us more about droids and who they are and gives us no. a reason to to feel more no no he ejected. <laughs> you see that that small piece of uh, of the ship there was actually he he ejected. He's fine. <laughs> He's actually um, going to be picked up in a few moments. I mean, obviously, obviously, Rogue One kills everybody. Yes. Uh, but I wonder if, like, in the case of Solo, in the case of Mando, it's a way. It's like they're avoid. Maybe they're trying to avoid like fridging. Uh, they're trying to avoid like killing the, killing certain characters, but they they but for some reason they need to include some kind of dramatic death, like for storytelling purposes. It does raise the stakes when a character dies, right? Like, yeah, it, it tells us that a situation is serious. Yeah, but it also uh, is so often used as a way to give, um to give characters like motivation to continue, you know? Yeah. And it's so often the, the women that get killed in that way. That's um, true. And so maybe they're like, instead of fridging our female character, we can kill a droid and it's okay. It's not really a person. I'm not saying I, I guess, agree, that's, but that's I think such a, that. uh, yeah. Like you said, it's not that you agree with that sentiment because it's such a cynical, like, if we need to create a character we need to kill, let's make him a droid. No. Um, and I, I hope that the trend is bucked at some point. 
Um, because I am a little tired of, of droid characters being killed as a way for the stakes to be solidified. Yeah. See, but with K2, everybody dies. Like, yeah. See, K2 is feels... just the first one to die, but everybody goes. Right. It feels appropriate in in this film especially for k2 to die yeah l3 his... l3's death didn't feel it didn't feel necessary it no kinda, and... it kind of stunk actually i was kind of mad about it well well this is not a solo podcast but i will say i will say about l3's death is that there's that kind of half measure that she's in the falcon now right yeah which feels like a a massive retcon that doesn't have any like payoff at any yeah. point oh i just want to pop back that when krennic and the and the death troopers come through that door like what a door to pick to come through literally <laughs> they're like oh yeah let's get into the tower oh our guys are right there <laughs> oh they did it they they pinpointed the exact spot that they needed what i love about imperial bases is uh a lack of handrails and <laughs> doors to nowhere Doors this to end shot. the shaft. This shot right here. This is the one I was talking about. That it is he's holding the stick shot. and he's walking from from right to left. Yeah, there it is. They're they're so parallel. I'm so sad for Chirrut. The difference here is that um, this is this is not something Baze can protect him from. Mm mm. No. So there's not um, a threat of a line of stormtroopers right behind him. The enemy is everywhere. No, Cassian. Uh, ow. Ow. God. God. God, oh, it's it's the way, it's the dull thud at every point. I hate this. It's the sound design for me. The way that it, it kind of isolates them. Yeah. Like, you, you're still aware that there's a battle happening around them, but everything is kind of pulled out, and now yeah. they're the only two important things. They might as well be the only two people on this beach. Their focus is entirely on each other. That's really good. It's beautiful. Oh no, I'm gonna cry. Oh no, I'm crying. <laughs> oh, ow. I would say don't cry, but no, nah, this this movie is worth crying over. Ugh. There's always a different moment that's the hardest to watch every single time. It's usually Jin and Galen, either the message or Galen's death. Those were both hard to watch today, but for some reason, just now, that was that was really hard. That was tough. I just just love that ion torpedoes can do that <laughs> with enough, you know, with with enough uh, Y wings all at once, right? <laughs> uh, are are Y wings good or bad? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. We love them. We love we love the entire alphabet line of. Of course uh, we do. Of ships. Oh my god, that look on Bodhi's face—that pure joy and smile. Yeah. Did you see that? We don't get that. We don't get that in this movie. That's it. 
Oh. Ouch. Ouch. That bearded guy just died. I liked him. Oh, Bodhi. I just... The, the, cr the choice to cross-cut away from Baze, to have some scenes to fill in that space, and then to have him know that Bodhi is dead. Right? Like, yeah. you could have had the scene right after Chirrut died in his arms. Right. But, but I feel like... he needed a moment of actual despair. Like, okay, we're not going, we're not going home. That's it. Right. And, and I think that that pacing works for this movie so well. Yeah. And you gotta look back at... Oh. Oof, that hurt. Here it is, the most unreasonable thing in the movie. This is your favorite part. I love it. I don't know how she does it. Look at this. Absolutely. It's all upper body strength. This is some American Ninja Warrior stuff. Absurd. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I believe we were talking about this on the uh, the Discord. Uh, I I cannot remember exactly, but I believe that this crew, the crew of this Corvette, survives the Battle of Scarif, and that okay. makes me very happy. I love that. <laughs> that these guys these guys had the absolutely wildest mission to complete, and <laughs> they did it and got away somehow. I love this perspective for Jen. She's been inside the whole time. She had no idea. She knew that the fleet had arrived, right? Like, K2 tells them. Yeah, but, like, to what extent and, and how much help did they have? It's got to feel vindicating. Yeah. She looks down and, and the first thing she sees is an X-Wing take out a TIE fighter, right? Yeah. And she's like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jin at the center of it all. Um, which I think visually... Uh, kind of backs up what exactly is happening here is that the the main conflict is right here in this moment everything else is just around it everything else is support this is the battle of mordor this is Janus frodo with the ring and everybody on the ground then the fleet and everybody that's aragorn and company leading the charge of the black gate trying to distract and make it happen. Look at that shot. Look at all shot. those Legos in space. <laughs> Look at all those Legos. And you know that part where where Cassian is like falling over and Jin's like, I can't carry the ring. <laughs> but I can carry I, you. But I can carry you. It's good, right? Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good analogy, right? I mean, the comparison works. I don't know like how much it works, but it works. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm the best. Okay. Uh, Admiratus is Aragorn. <laughs> you know what? That's he's true. Leading the, he's leading the charge. He wants to fight. He's the first one to run 
Just like Aragorn. Just right, right at the Black Gate, yeah. He says, for, Literally for, a for gate. Rogue One. Oh my gosh. He says, for Rogue One, and then charges. There's literally a gate. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm the best. <laughs> okay, yeah. Nope. You know what? I, at first I was like, I don't know how much it... Oh, and that makes Krennic Gollum. Oh, yeah. That does make <laughs> Krennic Gollum. Look at his beautiful blue eyes. It's and the, the way that he's kind of two-faced and the way that Gollum has those two kinds of his personality, right? The Gollum and the Smeagol. Yeah, it's perfect. And the way that he's played by Andy Serkis doing mocap. <laughs> Everyone in this movie is Andy Serkis doing mocap. I'm not convinced that uh, the entirety of Hollywood is not Andy Serkis in mocap. There's no reason he doesn't have an Oscar yet. For oh. literally... For his entire career, he deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, he'll get one, for sure, but he should also yeah. get other Oscars. Yeah, just for amazing performances he gives. This is outrageous. That's a hammerhead. Corvette's still pushing. You guys gotta knife. fly away, man. Fly away. <laughs> they, wait, they were yeah. still there. They're still on the... I wish I could roll it back and point at the screen, but you can't see it. Um, the Hammerhead Corvette was still attached to the side of the Star Destroyer. <laughs> I mean, you can you can disengage whenever you want. That's the great thing about it. It's just they took. I a love hard that hit. very enthusiastic uh, Mon I call. Know. I know you love him. It's just he's so I excited. To, I need to know his name. It's the very enthusiastic Mon call. Everybody in Star Wars has a name. We'll just say Vem for very enthusiastic Mon Call. Oh, okay, yeah. She did it. For yeah, Frodo. This is, this is Mordor. <laughs> Look at him. This is absolutely Mordor. And then an eagle is going to swoop down and get these two out of here. Oh, no. I would... My one regret for how the Death Star is treated in this movie is I would love to see it jump in and out of hyperspace. I I yes. just I want to know like what that's that like. I want to know what that yeah what it looks like. Wow. Maybe we'll see it someday. Wow, that's so beautiful. The lights in and out in the elevator. I just look. It's looking right at him. Oh my gosh! That contrast to Krennic's fire order. Yeah, yeah, because Krennic just kind of says fire, fire! And just, like spits it out. You could see the, the green light reflected in the blue of his eye there. Oh, my gosh. Holy crap. I'm watching it on a pretty big screen today. So I'm seeing little things. Oh. The way that Radis feels that for a moment. Yeah. How he squints his eyes shut real tight. That's really something. Oh. That sucks. That. It's just. The way that there's just nothing to say at this point. 
the music is too much. I think this is another instance of Jin being told exactly what she needs to hear. She wishes she could have heard it from her father, but but it's just as, well, not just as meaningful, but very meaningful to hear yeah. from Cassian. Oh, Jesus. That got me. That got me good. Yeah. Yeah, that the was the hug. It's when he when he squeezes his hand into into her shirt, like tugs at her shirt a little bit. That got me. That got me good. You got it, eggheads. You know, the Imperials had to store it on a on a whole floppy VHS. <laughs> the rebels can store it on like a, a little micro SD chip here. <laughs> what do the rebels know about storage media that the Empire doesn't? Outrageous. Jesus Christ. What a choice. What an absolute choice. Bored now. He's just so bored. He wants a real challenge. You can kind of feel that coming off of him. It's it's just so yeah. nonchalant. I absolutely love it. I love standing on like a dock coming out of a ship, just looking into space. Wind for some reason. It's space. Because of, because I don't of care. The, the interaction between the, the air in the ship and space, I think. But yeah, that, I mean, it, it would be in the opposite direction, but whatever. It's too much. It's so good. It's cool as heck. It's super cool. There she is. Wow. And we're just, we're set up to bridge and right that, into uh, A New Hope. That's it. That's it. That's how it ends. I I wonder what Carrie Fisher's bright pink eyeshadow was in that. She wears <laughs> this pretty pink eyeshadow at the beginning of A New Hope, which I, I saw a Tumblr post once that's like, um, um, uh, was she wearing bright pink eyeshadow because it was the 70s and they didn't know fashion or is it because she's like a 19 year old princess and she wants to feel pretty <laughs> like it I doesn't, feel like, doesn't matter <laughs> I feel like a lot of decisions design wise in in like Star Wars like A New Hope right were because that's what sci-fi looked like 
Yeah. Like, like that's why she would have had such intense pink eyeshadow. She's a space princess. Yeah, she um, looked awesome, too. She's got to have sparkly pink eyeshadow in order to be sufficiently spacey. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. That's the movie. And, that's and, the movie. and that means that's the end of our commentary track. It is. I hope everybody liked it or stuck around. It was really fun to do. This was fun. Yeah, I had a good time making this track. I, I feel like maybe we're less thoughtful in the moment and we have we have <laughs> so much more to talk about and the movie just keeps happening where i would like to spend an hour and a half talking about every five minute segment um we already you know, did that <laughs> we've already done that part though so uh there is like more to say about rogue one there will always be more to say about rogue one but having another watch through that we were able to share together here now and then you know share with our listening audience I think is really cool and I think a worthy addition to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that, that we did. I'm glad that we were able to kind of take all that we've talked about over the last however long we've been recording and add it to the movie as a whole. Um, and it just, I don't know. I feel good. That was awesome. And I want yeah, to thank everybody for, for listening and for, you know, sticking around through all of this uh, during kind of a rough year. Um, it's, you know, it's December now. We're almost to the new year. And I hope that everybody has a has a good holiday season and a, a really good new year. Um, and, uh, you know, I just I'm really thankful for for all of you for listening and for for listening to this whole track. If you did, <laughs> it's long. Um and uh, I especially want to thank our um, some of our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, those of our uh, listeners that have signed up at patreon.com slash thosehappyplaces. Uh, Those Happy Places is our other podcast. It's about theme parks, rides, and attractions. Uh, if they are subscribed at a certain level, we read their names within each episode of every show that we create. So, Alice, are you ready to do that? I sure am. Here are our Patreon subscribers at the level at which they get their name read on the show. So we've got April L, Aslam C, Charles G, Ian E, Nick H, Re J, AJG, Joe W, and Kate P. Thank you all so much for subscribing, for uh, supporting us. It's just just the the coolest thing that um that, that you guys, you know, support the show as you do. And and for those of you out there who are listening who uh, are not currently Patreon subscribers, you're welcome to join us. We've got great bonus episodes up and uh, awesome merch that we can send you uh, at certain levels. Um, uh, but in the meantime, if you're not in a position to join our Patreon, we do, uh, you know, you can support the show by sharing it, telling your friends, uh, tweeting at us. We love, we'd love to hear from you. And you can always join our Discord server. Yeah, uh, we've had amazing conversations on the server, and we, I don't know, I'm constantly blown away that we put these podcasts out into the universe, and that someone out there is listening, um, and <laughs> that just, that fills me, I, I mean this partially because, you know, we just watched Rogue One, but also, I mean this genuinely, uh, it fills me with a sense of hope, like, that there's so many 
good things out there and that we get to make one of them and that people get to enjoy it. Um, and so I am constantly in awe and thankful for this show uh, and for, yeah, just for everybody. Uh, Alice, if people want to get a hold of us on the internet, uh, where can they do that? Well, the best place to get a hold of us, where we always are constantly, is on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at RogueFunPod, and then you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AliceWhiteTHP for those happy places. <laughs> TikTok now, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm only on Twitter, uh, but I am always on Twitter. <laughs> it's uh, true. And so if you want to just reach out, talk about Rogue One, talk about Rogue Fun, uh, we're always there. And we're always excited to share how we feel about this amazing movie. Yeah, so that's uh, that's Twitter. Again, look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash those happy places. And uh I don't know. I think that's uh, I think that's it, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me on this uh, with this podcast and on this call. And uh, just you're the you're the best. You're an amazing co-host, and uh, I I love creating this thing with you. Alice, I am always thankful for your friendship, for this partnership that we have in creating cool things. Uh, I wouldn't dream of doing Rogue One. Oh, doing rogue fun without you. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's an honor. Uh, I am I am just so thankful to be along for the ride. Um, so with all of that said, rogue fun, pulling away. May the force be with us. <laughs> <laughs>